Uh, welcome. If you haven't been with us, um, we, we've been in a series called uh, Lessons from Lockdown. Uh, interestingly, Paul's letter to the Philippians was written from his own lockdown. He was in prison, uh, and he was joyful in the midst of being in prison. And uh, we've been seeing how the situation uh, of the people in Philippi and, and Paul's situation have been are very much they're very similar to ours. And uh, so with that in mind, I would invite everybody here to think very carefully right now about which team you're on. Are you on the tear down the Confederate statue team? Or are you on the leave the Confederate statue team, uh, statue up team? Okay, there's only two choices. You got to be on one team or the other. Uh, are you on the Black Lives Matter team? Or are you on the All Lives Matter team? Um, there are two choices and you have to make one. Which team are you on? Are you on the wear a mask at all times team? Or are you on the I don't ever wear a mask team? I suggest to you that this text is going to help you answer that question. Or those questions. Uh, let's read together. This is uh, my translation. Um, the, the places where it's Really different from the New King James, I'll let you know. Um, But here we go. If there is any comfort in Christ, any solace afforded by love, any union in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then top off my joy. Think the same and have the same love, living harmoniously, united in practical wisdom, nothing from selfish ambition, nothing from from exaggerated self-love, instead in humility, valuing others above yourselves, not each one looking out for himself, instead each one looking out for others. Have this same insight in you that was in Christ Jesus. The first thing to notice is the if-then. If-then. Uh, in Greek, the if, could, you can translate in English, since. Um, this, is not, this is a rhetorical question. Paul knows that uh, in the church in Philippi, there is comfort in Christ. There is solace afforded by love. There is union in the Spirit. He knows all that, and he's kind of being rhetorical here. He's like, since you've got that, then do this. Why is he thinking about these things? Why is he thinking about comfort in Christ? Why is he thinking about living harmoniously? Why is he thinking about united in practical wisdom? Well, we do know, uh, I got a picture here of uh, Paul and Timothy. We do know that Timothy has arrived uh, to Paul in, in, in prison and he's given him a report on what's going on in Philippi. And for the most part, things are great. Paul's excited, he's joyful, but there are some things he's a little worried about. So let's look a little closer at the text here. What, are, what is it that he's worried about? He's like, is there an, if there's any comfort in Christ, uh, by this, Paul probably means like um, the, the encouragement or the joy that you feel when you know that Jesus is with you. It's a very experiential uh, type of faith. It's, it's knowing that Christ is with you, knowing that resurrection's real. There, there, there's comfort. There's encouragement in that when things go badly, right? And solace afforded by love. Uh, the, there's people in the, in the congregation who, uh, who love each other, and that provides some kind of, you know, relief, there's union in the spirit. There's koinonia, fellowship in the spirit. I say union because the, the Christians think of themselves as brothers and sisters, right? And when, you're, when you have brothers and sisters, when you have union, what does that lead to? Hopefully, tenderness and compassion. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that tenderness is splakkanon in Greek. It means guts. 
the belly. It's that tenderness and affection you feel for someone right in your guts. Some of us have more guts than others, but we all know what that feels like. Compassion. Why is Paul so concerned about these types of things? Comfort, encouragement, uh, solace, union, tenderness, compassion. Well, you can ask this guy. You guys know Gary? Gary Chapman? Anyone know Gary Chapman? Oh, the five love languages. Uh, here it is. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list since 2009. Without, uh, without skipping a, a week or a month or however they do that. 11 years, this guy's book has been uh, on the New York Times bestseller list. Do you know what Gary Chapman, well, what, I mean, he doesn't really do it for a living anymore, but before he became uh, a world, you know, famous author and stuff, you know, you know what his primary income was? He's the associate pastor at the Baptist church that he goes to. He's an evangelical. Uh, he, he went to lots of, you know, Christian schools. He has many very Christian degrees. And he became a Christian counselor. And over time, he recognized that there, that there's some issues that couples have when they're trying to navigate marriage. Now, before we take a look at what he says, I just want you to be aware that, that in general, the two biggest things that are a problem in marriage are money and sex. Okay, uh, this is just, Sadly true, but it is true. Uh, most marriages that are, that are having problems, typically money is something that in general women, but also men, are concerned about. And if there's not a lot of sense of financial security, that can uh, cause a major rift. On the other hand, sex is also very important. Uh, typically <laughs> more important to men than women, but, but, but there, there are exceptions. And when there is a disconnect or a, break, a breaking in the, uh, the, the sexual relationship between a couple, that can cause issues. Now, assuming that those are not the two big biggest issues. There is another thing that happens, and that is that couples can have a very difficult time feeling loved. Feeling loved. And so Gary, as a Christian counselor, he, he, he came up with the five ways that you can express or, or feel love, right? Uh, I have them here but off the top of it. Gifts, acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch. Um, for those of us who don't experience love in any way, this is odd. Um, but for the rest of you, I'm sure this is maybe helpful. Uh, it's, and, and his, his point is like, is like different people um, know that they're cared for in different ways. Some people need to be squeezed. Some people need to be told, you're amazing. Some people just need you to be with them. Some people need you to do stuff for them. Do the dishes, yes. Some people need to be given gifts. Which is weird to me. I don't care about gifts. My daughter, Olivia, that's all she cares about. And it's hard because I want to earn her love the way that I do most love by telling people that they're great. She's like, I don't care what you say about me. Like, you can tell me that I'm great, awful, doesn't matter. It's what you give me that shows me what you, how you feel. And this is why uh, she loves her mother way more than she loves me. Because her mom takes her and buys her stuff. I'm like, that's garbage. You don't, it's a piece of plastic. You don't need that. And to her, that's like, you don't love me. Do you notice, um, wh- why would anyone buy this book? It's been a bestseller, bestseller for 11 years. Are you sitting there and you're like, man, I have a great marriage. I sure do enjoy the marriage that I have. I'm going to go buy this book to find out how to feel loved. Said nobody ever. 
No, it's when the marriage is in distress. That's when you need to know what it feels like, how to repair this lack of love. Well, go back to the text and think about what Paul's trying to repair, right? There's something wrong. There's people who need comfort, and that word can also be encourage, uh, comfort or encouragement. People need to be encouraged. They're down. They're uncomfortable. They're discouraged. They need solace. That means they're exposed, and they're in some kind of suffering, and they need to, to, to have some kind of help. They need tenderness and compassion that comes from a community of people who are all united in one spirit, meaning they're, they're, they're feeling alienated and alone. And they're feeling like nobody knows what they're going through. That's the first clue to what's going on in Philippi, and that's the first thing in your note sheets. The, Philipp- the Philippians need comfort because they are being distressed. You can say you, they're going through suffering, they're being distressed. I say that because... Um, it, this is going to, we're going to see this is going to be an outside issue that's, that's causing problems for them. Okay, so they're, out, they're being distressed. What else? What else does Paul say? Like, if you've got all these things, then, then, then do this. Top off my joy. Uh, the Greek here is uh, literally um, fill up my joy. A lot of translations will say um, make my joy complete. But really the idiom is what you'd say when you're, um, you're, at, the, you're at breakfast and uh, you're drinking coffee kind of slowly and you're about halfway through your cup, and it's starting to cool down. And then the waitress comes in and says, can I freshen that up for you? Can I top that off for you? That's uh, the idiom in Greek, and so I've translated here, top off my joy. Um, the idea is that Paul's joyful, but he could use a little more. He's good, but he's, he's a little bit concerned about this danger, about the distress the Philippians are going through. And so he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to think the same and have the same love. I need you to be living harmoniously, united in practical wisdom. Just a a point um, of this text where it says, think of the same, and where I have practical wisdom, and then at the bottom, in the last verse, this same insight. Those are all variations of the same word in Greek, phrenesis or phreneo, which is usually translated like think, but it it really means like like the, the, the good, street savvy, wisdom that comes from, from experience and, and a lot of trial and error. And, uh, and, and, and Paul's saying, I want you to all have that same ability to know how to respond and how to live. Okay, I want you to think the same. Have that same ability to perceive what the, the best route is, the most, the wisest, savviest route. I want you to do that all together. I want you to be united in that savvy, in that street smarts, and that ability to know what's best. Because Jesus had that same ability. Jesus had the same way of seeing that I want you to have. And if you do that, I want you to have the same love, the same love that Jesus had. Self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And, and if you do this, then be harmonious, one, united, unity. So, is this a human person or a fetus? Did you notice that just by asking that question, everybody here knows what I'm talking about? Just the way I said it. Is this a human person or a fetus? Everybody immediately knows this is a question about how I feel about abortion. Right? Um, and abortion is a, is a fraught issue. I've uh, known um, several ladies 
who uh, had abortions, one who deeply, deeply regretted it, um, others who uh, were good with it. Um, but the, the question of abortion, you know, turns on. Well, it's weird about it is that we, we all have the same information. We all come with the same data, right? No one's no one's like wondering whether or not uh, that's a picture of of a living organism with human DNA. No one's confused about that, right? No one's confused about the fact. Oh, did you know this? They they can do um, brain scans of unborn babies now. This is wild. They can, they're called fetal MRIs. What's neat about these is um, we we have a, a strong. Basically, if a, if a scientist looks at your brain waves, the scientist can tell whether or not you're male or female with something like 98% accuracy because male and female brains work differently. They have um, their their patterns are, are much much different. Uh, probably a lot to do with um, testosterone and estrogen, um, but they can see it. What they found is that uh, when they do fetal MRIs, uh, they can tell the 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 brain sex of of a baby before the baby's born. And so you don't even really need an ultrasound anymore to find out the biological sex of a child. And so when we ask the question, is this a human person or a fetus, no one's disputing the data. And yet, some people will say, that's a fetus that can be terminated other people will say that's a human person with all the rights uh, of any human person. And some now will say it depends on what the mother thinks, which is interesting. How is it that everybody can come to this question with the same data, same information, and have such radically divergent views? Well, it's because you come to it with different assumptions about what the world is like. You come to it with a different past and different history, different experiences. In general, for Christians, uh, Christians come to all questions about life with with a, a deep belief that all human life is special and sacred, that all human beings are built in the image of God. And, and that gets confusing. It's hard, especially when you ask Christians, what do you think about war? That seems like a lot of killing. Or what do you think about capital punishment? Like you're, you're, you're okay with you know, killing criminals, but you know, what's the difference here with the bait? So it gets complicated. I'm not saying it doesn't. But in general, Christians come with a particular way of seeing the world. God's the creator. Jesus is the redeemer. And all of us, no matter how evil, no matter how unborn, no matter how abled or differently abled, no matter how what color, no matter what we are, we all share in this same sacred life that God gives us. And so, in general, Christians tend to be like, that's a human person. Because Christians see through Christian lenses. I have a picture of that. They, we see through the cross. We, we judge everything based on, we, we start fundamentally say God created, Jesus redeemed self-sacrificially, and that, that shapes everything we see about the world. And so even though we have the same data, our data is influenced by Christ, cruciformity. Well, think about what Paul's saying. 
to the Philippians. He's saying you guys got to have the same ability to perceive and think. Look at things the same way. Come to the same conclusions harmoniously. Have the same love, the self-giving, self-sacrificial love of Christ. If you do that, you'll see the same thing. Why does that matter? Why do they need that? Why is Paul so adamant that they see that way? Because there are people outside of the community who are trying to deceive them. There are people who are telling them, this is how the world is. This is what you should think about Rome. This is what you should think about the economy. This is what you should think about worship. This is what you should think about the way people treat each other. And those are deceptive lies. And some of the people in the church, Philippi, are being deceived. Let's thanks on your note sheets. The Philippians need a shared worldview because they are being deceived. So people outside the church are distressing, causing suffering. People outside the church are deceptive and deceiving. What else? Paul says nothing from selfish ambition. Nothing from exaggerated self-love. Again, I'm hewing really close to the Greek syntax. Most English translations will supply an is verb or a do verb. Do nothing from selfish ambition. That's not in the text. Paul just says no. Selfish ambition. No exaggerated self-love. Instead, not each one looking out for himself. Instead, he's really, really adamant here. He's like, he's like, guys, you've got to quit this looking out for yourself thing. A lot of translations, a lot of preachers will lie to you. They'll tell you that instead in humility, valuing others above, you, above yourself, they'll say, oh, well, what really, humility really is just like, you know, properly valuing yourself and, and properly valuing others. Not here. Paul is literally saying, in, in as plain a Greek as you can, you literally treat everyone else like they're better than you. Even if you know they're not. Especially if you know they're not. He's literally saying, the, the person next to you in the pew, put them on a pedestal. They're, treat them as above you. Uh, and, and that culture, of course, you know, you think about, they have much more of a sort of a caste-type system, like, you know, landed gentry, um, people, with, you know, merchants, um, day laborers, indentured uh, laborers, slaves. Like, there's a, there's a strong hierarchy in the Greco-Roman world that we don't have as much of today. But the point is, whoever you are and whoever you're with, look at the people next to you and be like, you're better than me. Even when they're clearly not. Paul's playing Phil Jackson to the 2,000 Lakers. You know, it, the three-peat, really, Phil Jackson's going to go down in history as one of the all-time greatest coaches because the three-peat, yeah, sure, there was a ton of talent on the Lakers, 1999 to 2001, whenever it was. But, man, could you, could you come up with two people who are just simply less compatible than Shaq and Kobe? I remember I was at a uh, concert in, I think it was the year 2000, the Lakers had just won their second, maybe, it might have been the 3 P, the third championship. Uh, it was a, a 3-11 show, remember them? All mixed up, don't know what to do, 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 do. yeah, that band. Um, and they're, they're <laughs> John's with me. Uh, so good, good band, and uh, they're, they're finishing their set when suddenly, boom, 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 
Everyone looks. There, on the horizon above the Irvine Meadows Amphitheater, back when that was a thing, a Lakers helicopter. Literally hovering right above all of us. We're like sheltering. I'm not kidding you. A rope ladder comes out. Shaquille O'Neal himself. I'm not kidding. This happened. Shaquille O'Neal climbs down a rope ladder, lands on the stage, performs one of his rap songs with 311. Like, I guess he had a hit. I don't know. And then everyone's freaking out. Everyone's losing their mind. He gets back, the helicopter, he gets back on the rope, and the rope takes him away. He flies off. Not a man known for his humility, Shaquille O'Neal. And what's crazy is that as as self-important as Shaquille O'Neal was, Kobe was even worse. (laughs) I mean, God bless him. Rest in peace, Kobe. We love you, and thank you so much for your service to the Lakers. But my goodness, what a a self-involved human being. And Phil Jackson's like Paul. He's like, he's like, guys, if you're not together, if you don't shove all this stuff and you start, you know, making each other increase, treating each other like they're better than you, this isn't going to work. And eventually it didn't. But for a, a short period, a short window, Jackson pulled it off. He got them to support and care for each other. And man, legendary, 3P. Well, why is Paul saying the same thing to the Philippians? Why is he saying, you got to treat them like they're better than you, even if you know they're not? I'll tell you why. Because there are people outside the church who are trying to divide the church. That's the next thing in your note sheets. The Philippians need to put each other on a pedestal because they are being divided. And this isn't an internal division. This is pressure from the outside that's causing them to jostle. It's causing them to be like, I don't know if I trust you. I should be the one in charge. It's causing them to to suspect each other's motives. It's causing them to be divided. When uh, Paul founded the church in Philippi, um, Acts tells the story where he and Silas are walking around, and a woman who's a, she's like a, a diviner, she's a fortune teller, a soothsayer, she keeps following them and bothering them. And finally, Paul like exercises the demon. He's like, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. And she like loses her ability to divine and soothsay, and everyone freaks out because she was making a ton of money for the people in charge. They loved her. Um, she was, you know, loyal to the emperor, and, and suddenly the entire economy of Philippi is in danger because now the people who are making idols to the emperor are like, huh, maybe we should do what Paul's doing. He seems to have a lot of power. So there, it basically disrupts the entire economy of, of Philippi, and so the, 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 the people in charge, they throw him in, in prison and beat, beat the snot out of him. He's savagely beaten with whips. Um, He's put in prison, and then there's a story of him and Silas singing uh, songs, and, and, and the, the prison breaking open, and uh, and the, the jailer becoming a, a Christian. And but but then <laughs> you notice that as soon as Paul gets out, he's like, uh, "All right, let's. Uh, we might need to move on now." <laughs> Probably the people in the church are like, "You should get out of here because things are going to go bad for you."
in uh, about 100, maybe 115 AD, uh, Pliny the Younger, who was a Roman statesman, he was the governor in what's uh, now Turkey, he uh, wrote to the emperor Trajan, they were buddies, they were friends, and he writes to him about what to do about the Christians. Do I I have a picture of these guys? Yeah, on the left there is Pliny the Younger, the right is Emperor Trajan. And Pliny's like, yeah, I just, I'm not sure what to do with these people. I mean, you know, they, they, they're, I'm told that they're massively disruptive uh, and they're dangerous. Um, and so I, I wasn't sure what to do. So every time I, I get one, every time, because people would anonymously out Christians. And so whenever um, a Christian was brought before Pliny, what he would do is he'd be like, okay, are you a Christian? The person would say either yes or no. If they said yes, he'd be like, you need to curse Christ and proclaim your worship for the emperor. And if the person said no, then he would execute him. And then he said, and I, I just couldn't believe it, so many people kept coming, and I kept telling him, if you say yes to being a Christian, and you refuse to curse Christ and worship Trajan, I'm going to kill you. And they kept doing it. And he's like, Trajan, what do I do with these people? He's like, I even went so far. He says this. He says, I went so far that I, I, I took two of their slave women who were deaconesses in the church. So in, in the world, they were, they were slaves. Um, but in the church, they were, they were people with, uh, with power and authority. And he says, and I tortured them because I was certain. I was certain that they could not be this crazy. And so I just, I did. I just kept torturing them and torturing them and torturing them. Would you believe it? They really do think that you're not the Lord. They think Jesus is the Lord. They think that they're going to live forever, these fruit bats. So, of course, I killed them too. Trajan, what, what are we going to do about these people? Do you have a better solution? Trajan was a savvy emperor. He did have a better solution. He said, well, okay, look. Sure. If they show up and you torture them and they won't recant, okay, fine. Obviously kill them. It makes a lot of sense. But you've got to have a soft touch with these people. There's a lot of rumors going around about the Christians, you know, being cannibals, being weirdos. Go ahead and... Let that, let those spread, right? Encourage that. Make it so that when a Christian walks down the street, people look at him a little sideways. And if you can, you know, make sure you cut off their opportunities so that it's harder for them to thrive economically. Make it so that everyone around them is suspicious of them and, 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 and really, really doesn't want to be associated with them. And if you do that, you won't have to kill as many of them. They'll naturally fade away. You can imagine that um, if that's how you treated a group of people, they would be pretty distressed. They would feel like they're constantly being deceived. And 
And inside, they would start to be divided amongst themselves. And thank God that could never happen today. Look at these pictures. What's cool is if you've you know, been paying attention, these pictures are designed to, to make you feel something. These are from our news media. What an incredible job they're doing. Depending on which team you're on, each one of these pictures is meant to elicit one of two emotions. One, yeah. The other, boo. Stick it to the man. What about law and order? This country has a racist past, but we're trying to do better. Police brutality everywhere you look. It's a few bad apples. If you don't wear a mask, you want to kill grandma. If you wear a mask, you're giving up your God-given liberty. Pick a team. Because you notice this? You know what's interesting about this? Once you pick a team, you know what you just did? You know what we're doing? What they're asking us to do. They're asking us to be a D first. Or an R first. Or an I first. The enemy. See, one thing we forget. We forget over and over and over. We forget that behind everything that we're seeing. The enemy is out there. The enemy, do you think the enemy cares you know, the, the, the Satan, Satan's sitting there and he's like, well, if there's one thing I've got to do, it's destroy the United States of America. Probably not. Probably that's not on his radar. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it's not, I don't know. But I can guarantee you that insofar as Satan cares about the United States of America, it's so that he can destroy the church. That's what he's really about. He's about discouraging, distressing, dividing the church. That's what he's really about. And, and, and so what he's doing is he's like, he's like, if I just inundate them with all of this, so you, you just get emotionally involved. And I'm speaking from personal experience here. This is not like I'm like, oh, floating above. I don't care about any of this. That's not the case at all. I'm deeply engaged with this. But the point, the point is, is that you want to be so engaged. You're all about this that you forget what? That Jesus is Lord. That's what they want. That just, just like back in the day, Trajan's like, you squeeze him, you push him, you move him. What's the point to make sure that Trajan's Lord? And now it's you push him and you squeeze him and you divide him and you make him care about all these things so that what? So that, you know, what, who? Trump? Biden? Whoever. The D's, the R's, the I's, their Lord. Not Jesus. To pit the people of the church against each other. To break up this community. To, to crush us. So that we're so consumed by what's on display out there that it fractures us in here. 
We become so committed to that that we forget what we're called to here with this. Every single person here knows that in a, re, in a, in a, if we all just stop for a second and we're just relaxed, we would see that there's the, the, the choices that we're given, they're false. They're not real. You can be for stopping police brutality and for police. <laughs> you can do that. I feel like I can. <laughs> You can be for, you know, not spreading the coronavirus and, and also, you know, for making some wiser choices about when you wear a mask and when you don't. They're, they're, isn't it crazy how what they're trying, what, what, what it's trying to happen is to, is to turn everything into division so that you commit to anything but Christ. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. Encourage and comfort each other. Yeah, out there they're trying to divide you and destroy you, but, but in here, encourage and comfort each other. And, 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 and think the same way. Remember, this, we all share the same story, the same truth about who God is, what God's done in Christ. Right? And if we, we buy into that story, it'll be a lot easier for us to make sense of how we're going to deal with all the stuff that's going on with quarantines and whatnot. Share the same story. That's number two. And number, number three, which is really hard, um, especially the people that you disagree with, put them on a pedestal. Because guess what? Whatever you think about is going, what's going on in the world outside here, um, every person in here who believes in Jesus and who's committed to Jesus' story has way more in common with each other than anything that's going on out there. And last but not least... Avoid all news and social media. Delete your accounts immediately. Turn off the television um, just go outside. It's beautiful. We live in Southern California for crying out loud. Just, do- okay, I'm just kidding. I, I have another one there. Whoop. There we go. Okay. Yeah. That was just a joke. Haha, <laughs> funny. Please, by all means, post more on Instagram. Um, <laughs> I, I joke, but, but only to an extent because um, what, what's Paul keep saying? Like love each other. Self sacrificially love each other. Like, think about what they're doing to you. The whole point is to discourage and, and distress and divide and, and, and to create hate and, and suspicion. He's like, wouldn't it be cool if instead you loved each other? Just like Jesus did. Next week, he's going to tell us exactly how Jesus loved. Let's pray.
Gracious God in heaven, we, um, we confess places in our lives where we've um, yeah, been distressed, um, deceived, uh, divided. Places in, in life where we've just bought into lies, um, bought into false choices, been caught up in um, what, what is a transitory moment. And God, uh, we confess that in places we've, we've forgotten to love. And Lord, I pray that um, we would just, just completely um, change that mentality and instead be self-giving lovers just as you've called us so that that people will look and say there's no hate here there's no rage there's instead there's love and there's and there's joy and there's there's justice and there's peace may we uh, weather this storm in love as we imitate and follow Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.